0: as we talk about colossians uh, it's it's important for us to remember what the context of the whole entire book is you know when we study the book of james you have to understand all of the scripture in james is in the context of trials well with colossians the entire context of the entire letter to the colossians is the fact that the word has come it is taking root but now false teachers have come along and they are trying to teach a false Jesus. They're trying to teach a Jesus plus. Um, but, you know, the, the, the gospel has taken root and now false teachers have come along. And Paul is talking to the Colossians about the importance of knowing the truth. Um, because the best way to know the lie is to know the truth. But but this isn't something new for the early church. I mean, Paul warns, and we're going to talk about some of these verses as we go along, but Paul warns the Corinthians and he warns Timothy that there's a time when people won't hold the solid teaching. There's a time when people will seek teachers who say the things that tickle their ears. And if we want to go further back to the beginning, this is no different than what happened in the garden when Satan came to Adam and Eve questioning the Word of God. So, this passage starts off with this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. We need to understand as we are talking about truth versus deception, it is important, it is imperative that we struggle over those who are deceived. It is imperative that we struggle over those who receive. I can tell you, I have a uh, the, myself and the other elders. We, we text throughout the week. We pray uh, together uh, once a week, and during that time, I can tell you if if somebody has missed a Sunday or somebody seems to be struggling with something or somebody's missed several Sundays, those names get got up, and, and, and we struggle in prayer. Over those who are not with us, I know from talking to David that he is—he very much struggles over the people of agape, and that's what we should be doing. Um, Mike Darden came to the elders probably a couple of months back because God had laid four young men who were either completely lost or severely backslidden, but they are far from the Lord, and God just wouldn't let him rest. And he was struggling over what to do with that, and he brought it to us. And eventually, that kind of birthed an idea where we took it to the men's ministry, and we have a board, and that list of four names is now 12 names. And each time the men gather, we pray over those names. I think Mike literally prays over them every single day. You know, and I think most of the men pray pretty regular over them, but, but that was all birth because one guy couldn't rest over struggling over four people. And we see that Paul struggles over those at Laodicea, even those he's never met. For I want you to know how great a struggle, not just a struggle, how great a struggle I have for you and for Laodicea, and for those who have not seen me face to face. He's struggling over people he's not even met. But he's concerned about their relationship with the Lord. And I want to put this in perspective, because some of us can struggle over minor things. Like when we say we struggle, that could be like my, my order took too long at Chick-fil-A. But I want you to listen. When Paul says he struggles. This is the context it's in. Second Corinthians 11.23 I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, I mean, this is some big stuff, but apart from this, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. When Paul said he struggled for the churches, he did not say that lightly. But let's not confuse struggle and anxiety of the world with the struggle and anxiety of Paul. If we take two steps back to the ending of what Sam taught us last week in Colossians 28 and 29, Paul says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling. But how does he struggle? With all his energy, Whose energy? God's energy. That he, who? God. That God powerfully works within me. He toils and he struggles, but what he does, but when he toils and struggles, he does it with God's power and in God's energy and God working through Paul. So when I say we need to struggle over deceived and people who are falling away, we don't do it with fear and frustration. We do it by not being content and complacent. As a matter of fact, that's in your notes. We don't do it in fear or frustration. We do it and we're not comfortable or complacent. The elders of this church should not be fearful or frustrated when someone is struggling, but they shouldn't be content or complacent. And I can tell you, you know, 30 some odd years, that I've been in ministry, people come and people go. People plug in and people are on fire for the Lord and people fall away. And it's just the way it is. But just because it's just the way it is doesn't mean we should be comfortable with that. We shouldn't just be, oh, it's just another person who's moved on. It's just another person who's changed churches. It's just another person who's been deceived. It's just another person who, who is, is questioning the Lord. It should matter to us and we, we should struggle with that. We are, we are family. When, when someone falls away, we talk about this being the body of Christ. If somebody cuts off your pinky, you'll notice. If the devil cuts off somebody in this church, we should notice. And, and back to the thing about the, the prayer list we do with the men. Mike wasn't fearful or frustrated about those four people, but the Lord wouldn't let him rest. He wanted him to pray and see these young men come back to Jesus. He brought it to the elders. The elders brought it to the men of the church. And the men are praying, and we've already seen one of the 12 start responding to the Lord. And we pray that that's just a chink in the armor and a crack in the dam, and we will see a, a flood of God moving in these 12 people. So I say this, mom, dad, brother or sister, ministry leader, Gospel community leader, friend, struggle over the lost people you know. Struggle over the people you know that are falling away. Struggle over the people you care about who are not in a hundred percent right relationship with Lord. But don't be fearful or frustrated. God is not taken off guard. God is not surprised. God is not incapable. But we don't need to be complacent or content. When someone falls away. Now, we're going to kind of move into the next part of this sermon where we're going to kind of talk about where God is telling us that we need to know what we believe. We need to be, we need to grow and be transformed by what we believe, and that we need to be, beware that there is false teaching out there. But as we, as we struggle for those who are deceived, as we struggle for those who are lost, and as we talk about us growing in the truth of God I feel necessary to make this point We are called to be vigilant with the truth We are not called to be vigilantes truth vigilantes okay We're called to be vigilant with the truth but not called to be truth vigilantes And and if y'all have heard me me preach you know one thing that will come up from time to time that frustrates me is when I see that one of the biggest trends on social media is watch person I like destroy, humiliate, own person I don't like on issue I am passionate about. And, 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 and here's the reason why we are called to be vigilant with the truth and not truth vigilantes, when you get owned or destroyed or humiliated, your response isn't necessarily to go, oh, wow, I got destroyed. Let me go embrace the truth. It's to be shamed and, and sometimes even dig your heels in deeper. And so let me expound on this, this truth about not being a truth vigilante. I learned a long time ago, and I'm still learning it because I'm not always good at it, but I'm learning that you can make a point or you can make a difference. Seldom can you do both. You can win an argument or a debate or you can win a person. Very seldom can you do both. What what does Paul tell us about truth? He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. It's not profitable for winning debates or humiliating people. Romans 15, 4, Paul tells us this, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scriptures, we might have hope. So as we transition this part, we're going to talk about the emphasis that we need to know the Word and that we need to grow in the Word, and we need to be aware of the lie, let's do that understanding that the reason we know the Word is to encourage and hope. It is to teach. It is to correct. It is to train. So I, I think we have a question as we move forward. And, and for me, I can't speak to you guys, but as, as I've been taking notes in the, the, the little uh, notebook thing, The journal, scripture journal, thank you. I was trying to think what to call it. One of the ways God has been helping me process Colossians is this. I feel like each week God is asking me a question. Week one, I feel like God asked me, Do I hope in Christ? Week two, I feel like God asked me, Do I intercede and trust in Christ to act? on those things that I am inter- in intercessory prayer over. The third week is, do I know who Jesus is? The fourth week was, do I remember from whence I came and how I got to where I am now? And then last week, I feel like the question the Lord asked me was this, do I have the hope of glory alive in me? And then this week, the question I feel like God is asking us is this. What do I believe about Jesus? What do I believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have struggled, I mean, for all who have not seen me face to face, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, seeing to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And we'll steal a couple of verses from next week. For in him the wholefulness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. A.W. Tozer said this, What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And I will say, as we study Colossians, I think what we believe about Jesus is the most important thing about us. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. What I believe about Jesus is the most important thing about me. Because at the end of the day, we're all theologians. We're all theologians. We all have some opinion about God. Uh, hopefully that's based in the scriptures. But that's where the question comes. Are we good theologians or bad theologians? Because we're theologians. And I think you you realize real fast for us being a society that has more access to knowledge than any generation before us, we are sometimes some of the most, we're in some ways the most biblically illiterate generation. And so it's kind of hard to be a good theologian when we really don't know why we believe what we believe. And so as we dive in here, and look at the context of the fact that there are false teachers, and Paul is worried that the people of Colossae, whether they are knowing the Word of God and growing in the Word of God, let's look at some of the warnings that he gave. Paul warns Timothy this. In 2 Timothy 4, 2-4, through I charge you in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As you, as for you, always be sober-minded and enduring suffering and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill the ministry. And y'all apologize to me. For some reason, the next paragraph did not print. So I'm going <laughs> to have to go look up this paragraph real quick. Just pretend like I'm not being here silent. I'll, I'll just keep talking for the people on, on the recording. Oh yeah, should have known that. Guys, it was interesting that David said that about pithy sayings because Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Guys and gals, pithy sayings won't cut it. If someone asks you to give an account for what you believe, saying a pithy saying or saying because I'm a Christian or because I'm Baptist, that won't cut it. We need to know why we believe what we believe. And we need to know why from the Word of God. Not from from tradition or from preference. Not from pithy sayings or what's written on our coffee mug. We need to know why we believe what we believe. I was once interviewed uh, to be on a pastoral staff, and during the interview I was asked the question, what I believed about uh, eternal security, the perseverance of the saints, and apostasy. And I spent about 10 minutes you know, talking through Th- uh, Thessalonians, through Hebrews, and uh, the extent of what I felt that the Lord said about the perseverance of the saints and what I felt like the Lord said about uh, apostasy and what that looks like. And the guy who was in charge of hiring the pastoral staff did not like my answer and he proceeded to get very frustrated with me and wanted to correct me. But he did not go to the Word of God to correct me. I still remember vividly his exact words were this. I don't know where it says it in the Bible, but in one of the verses it says, once saved, always saved. And I didn't get the job. The person responsible for hiring a pastoral staff quoted a pithy saying as if it were scripture. When we are faced against deception, when we're faced against other philosophies, we can't just say, well, I don't know what the scripture says, but I heard a pastor one time say, or I read in a book one time an author say, or that, that's I'm just a Baptist, that's what we believe. You know, once upon a time, uh, my wife and I, many moons ago, uh, got married in this very church, and the church we got married in was a lot different than the church we're in right now, because when we went to have our reception, uh, they said, oh, by the way, y'all can't do, the, you can't do your dance at the church, and I said, why? And they said, because we're Baptists. And so once upon a time, the official position of this church was you couldn't dance at a wedding reception, not because there was some scripture they went to, but because we were Baptists. Um, Jude tells us in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. When I first got into ministry, there was a movement that intrigued me. Um, I, I, I I like, to, I like to ask questions. I like to dig into things. I like to understand why things are the way they are. And there was this, um, there was this movement. It was very, very much uh, geared at, 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 to people who were in youth ministry as well. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, resources you would get into youth ministry was driven through people with this ideology. It was called the emergent movement. And I was really intrigued by the emergent movement because they asked a lot of good questions. They asked hard questions. They asked questions of, why do we do this thing? Is this just tradition? I mean, there were really, really good questions they asked. But what I eventually found out is they were great at asking questions. They weren't really good at getting answers. And if they did get an answer, they would just move on to the next question. I've got a friend of mine who I love dearly. He's been deconstructing for about five years now. And it really breaks my heart every time I interact with him because he asks a lot of good questions. But when he gets the answers, it, he isn't drawn back to the truth. He just turns to another question. And, and, and it just it, it, it breaks my heart because... I mean, this is a good dude. It's a good dude. But, but the thing is, we've got to be very... Careful, because there's a lot of philosophies out there that will pull us away. And one of the ways they'll do it with questions. But don't get me wrong, questions are great. It's how we learn. It's how I learn. Um, but the but the but are the questions were entertaining? Are they questions to look for loopholes? Are they questions to look for outs? Are they questions to look for excuses? Are they or are they questions to verify the truth? Are they questions to get to the heart of the matter? And and we even see this in Acts when they talk about the Bereans. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if the things were so. So they were asking questions, but they were going to the source of truth to get the answers. They weren't just asking to ask. You know, we, we saw this with Adam and Eve. God says, don't eat of, of all these trees. You can eat, but not that one. And what does Satan do immediately? He's like, well, did God really say that? And instead of going to, yes, God really said that, Eve went to, well, it's pleasing to the eyes, and it looks like it's good for food, and then it's also good for making me and Adam wise. So, you know, Satan asked the question, and Eve responds with the, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But we see the same thing happen to Jesus. And Satan comes to Jesus, and he does the same thing. He tries to tempt Jesus with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And each time, Jesus comes back with the question or the challenge that Satan is offering with the truth and the word of God. He, he didn't, he didn't say, I can't do that because I'm the Messiah. I can't do that because I'm the Christ. I can't do that because I'm the Son of God. I can't do that because I'm about to start this, this, this New Testament version of God's body. He answered with, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, because Jesus knew the truth. And the truth is how we determine what the laws are. The truth is how is how we defend against the lies and so it's important that we need to know what we believe we've got to know what we believe we can't assume it we got to know what we believe for i want you to know how great a struggle i have for you and for those at lay and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom of knowledge Paul is telling the Colossians that the fullness of the mystery of God is in Christ the gnostics were coming along and telling them it's it's Jesus plus you know you know today we have like say the Jehovah witnesses who who agree that Jesus is God, but where we say Jesus is God, they say He is a God. We plumb the depths of the riches of God as we know Christ better and we know Him through His Word. And one thing we'll see is knowing the truth will help us stand firm and stand together. One thing we'll see is we're, we're going through Colossians. We'll see multiple references about how unity is brought about that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together. Or verse 5, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Good order and firmness here are military terms. As the Colossians are growing in truth, there will be good order. So if you can picture like soldiers standing shoulder to shoulder, facing forward, shields up. There's no break in the ranks. There's a unity. There's a oneness. But the oneness isn't, you know, that they're all at... not, Not that they're all Laodiceans. It's that they're all Christians. And they're all in agreement in the Word. And as we've heard said multiple times through several series uh, sermons here lately, you know, uh, it's one thing for you and I to be connected to one another. You know, we may be connected by common interests. We may be connected by, you know, we we do you know similar hobbies. We work in the same place. We you know play on the same sports teams. But more important than any of that is that connection we have that go. You know, Jason and I may have connections, but more important than that is the connection that me to Jesus. Jesus to Jason, Jason to Jesus, Jesus to me. And that's what we have here. They're standing firm. I mean, they're standing in good order. They're standing side by side. They're standing in unity because they're connected to Christ. But they're not just standing in good order and in unity, but they're standing firm. They're not giving way. When when the lie comes, when the deception comes, when the false teachers come, they're standing firm in the word of God. Their feet are planted. So together, the Colossians are standing firm. Agape, there will be lots of people out there, whether it's social media influencers, whether it's politicians taking Scripture out of context, or whether it's just plain false teachers. They're they're going to attempt to lead people astray because of their their politics or their preferences or their own ignorance of the word. But as we stand together in the word, as we stand together connected in Christ, as those lies and plausible arguments come against each one of us, we're there for each other to make sure we stand firm. You know, if I start, if I start, you know, being influenced by something foolish or worldly, you know, and I start, you know, talking like that, you know, I can tell you my wife is going to say something and be like, that doesn't sound like the word of God to me. I can tell you that, you know, Sam and David are going to be like, Hey bro, what in the world are you thinking about? There, there are people in this church. I know who, if they see me talking foolishness, they will come to me and say, Hey, you're talking foolishness. That's, that's not right. And that, that's part of us standing firm and standing in good order together is because as long as we're standing together in firm order, if one of us starts being fooled, those around us who are, who care about us and who are anxious for us and who struggle over us in prayer will help us to stand firm. But it's not just enough... It's not just enough to know the word. Um, it's not just enough to be informed by the word, but we need to be transformed by the word. We need to grow, as evidenced in how we behave. I really hate the the word "behave" there, but it it keep, lets me keep all my bees together. Believe, behave, and beware. But for I want you to know. How great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen my see me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance and understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So there's a couple of things here about how the word transforms us. First, sanctification is a process. We see this earlier in Colossians. Colossians 1.9. And so from that day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So there's the believe. And then here comes the behave. Uh, there was the inform, here comes the transform. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all the endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the first thing is... Sanctification is a process. When we know the Word, it's going to affect the way we we walk. We're going to walk in Him. We're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The second thing is this. Focus on depth, and God will address the breadth. Focus on depth, and God will address the breadth. You know, sometimes churches or ministries will compromise the truth. They'll try to be play God's PR person. They try to water things down a bit because they want to be more seeker-sensitive. Or they'll do creative things at the expense of the solid... I'm not saying creative things are bad. I like creative things. But often people will do creative things at the sacrifice of the depth of the word because their focus is on breath. i got to get more people in. And once I get them in, I'll teach them. But Paul is saying, we need to be rooted, then built up. Paul, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 3 6, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. You know, one of the reasons I believe that Agape grew during the pandemic when other, uh, when a lot of other churches were losing people left and right and, and churches were even shutting is because the leaders at that time of Agape, they focused on the depth. They didn't go, what's the creative ways we can keep people engaged? What's the creative ways that we can try to get more people in there? They just kept focusing on teaching the Word. And so, David, may I I admonish you. (laughs) Focus on the depth, and God will take care of the breadth. Allison with Agape Academy, focus on the depth and trust God for the breadth. Josie, Katie, as y'all are growing this young girls ministry, focus on the depth and trust God to do the breath. Gospel community leaders, you know, men's and ministry leaders, student ministry leaders, focus on the depth and trust God for the breath. Whatever God's calling you to, focus on the depth. The next thing is this. Remember what you were taught. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, uh, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Ephesians four seventeen through 24 Now I say this and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of hearts, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy practices, and every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind to put on the sh- the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then one more thing about this transforming of the truth is this, growth should come with joy and thankfulness. You know, as we grow We should be more engaged in worship. We should desire to worship, but not just on Sunday mornings. I mean, I don't know if you've ever done this. I catch myself doing this. I pray for God to do something, and he does it. And then, like, somehow I forget to go, oh, by the way, thank you for that. But as as we grow, we should be more aware of the evidences of grace, of God's grace, and we should be thankful for that. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thankfulness. Ephesians four two continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with it, watchful in it with thanksgiving. Ephesians five fifteen through twenty one. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. When? Always. And for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. Okay, so we, 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 we know, we grow. Now we gotta be slow. We believe, we behave. Now we need to be aware. We need to be aware. We need to be aware of false gospels. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. How do we see to that? Well, he's just told us. Here's a list of things you need. You need. He spent the first part of this chapter and basically the majority of the last chapter saying you've got to believe Jesus. You've got to believe the Word of God. You've got to know what you know. You've got to know Jesus. And the more you know, I'm so tempted to say a knowing is half the battle for those of you who are from 80s. The more you know and understand the truth, the more and better you can detect lies. I know this analogy has been shared before in the church, but when they teach treasury agents how to spot counterfeit bills, they don't spend the majority of their time teaching them this is what a fake bill looks like. They spend the majority of their time teaching them what a real bill looks like. Because if you know what a real bill looks like, then you automatically know what a fake bill looks like because it doesn't look like a real bill. Um, think about whatever you're an expert in. Whatever whatever, whatever you are an expert in, whatever hobby you're an expert in, whatever job you're an expert in, whatever subject, like you just love this subject and you like, studied it for the last 20 years. Just by kind of being an expert in your subject, you are able quickly to detect frauds. A couple of years back, there was a project. They were going to hire a contractor to help me with the project. I've been been in IT for like 30 years. And I was on the phone with this guy two minutes, and I knew he was a fraud. I knew he wasn't a developer. Not because somewhere along the line I was like, how do you spot somebody who's pretending to be a developer? I noticed because I'm a developer, I work with developers, and I know what developers say, I know what developers think, and I know how developers do their job. And this guy was saying things and doing things that made it very clear that they had hired a warm body and not a developer. Think about, think about let's even make this even more basic. Think about when you were teaching your kids the primary colors which I believe are red, blue, and yellow. Thank you. When you teach a child that this is red, and this is yellow, and this is blue, you don't necessarily go, and yellow is not red, and blue's not red. So once you've taught a kid this is red, and this is blue, and this is yellow, I think I moved them around, but it's okay. You could... And and you show the kid red and say this is red. They'll go okay. But then when you show them blue, blue and say this is red, they'll go no it's not. That's not red. And it's not because you taught them that blue isn't red, it's because you taught them what red is. And so anything not red is not red. Blue is not red not because it's because it's not red. I mean it's that simple. But 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 where it gets complicated But where it gets complicated complicated is when you show a kid who's just learning colors dark red or light red or burgundy or maroon. And you show a small child that, they'll go, that's red. Now, if you show Emma Knowles that, she'll probably go, well, that's light burgundy and that's, you know, Chabernet wine red. And, you know, but but The more you know colors though, then you know the, you, 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 you learn that almost red still isn't red. Or it's not primary color red. And so the more we can detect the lie, the better we can stand for the truth. See, we need to be aware sometimes we are good at seeing blatant evil. We're good at seeing that blue isn't red. We're good at seeing the lion who wants to Kill and destroy. We're good at seeing that, but sometimes we're not good at seeing that. Well, light blue and sky blue. I mean, they are shades of blue, but they're not primary blue. And that's where we get in trouble sometimes. I, I read in a book one time and I thought this was an interesting quote. And it said this because I think, I think sometimes when we think about um, when we think about the, the plausible arguments and the, the destructive deceit, we think of this the, like the, the occult and the uber satanic and the, the blatant anti-Christian stuff. But listen to this. One generation of Mennonites believed the gospel as well that they held certain social, economic, and political entailments. So, They held the gospel, they held social, economic, and political entailments. Well, in the next generation, they assumed the gospel and identified with the social, economic, and political entailments. And then the third generation denied the gospel, and the entailments were everything. We don't just have to be aware of the lion that's seeking to kill and destroy. We need to be aware of the almost red. We need to be aware of the almost blue, of the almost purple. I mean, it's, it's 90% true, but then there's 10% deception. It's, it's 90% true, um, you know, I'll put it this way. A half-truth, guys, is a whole lie. Okay. Uh, 90% truth is 100% deception. And we need to be aware of that. We've got to be, and this is why it's so dangerous when our theology is based on pithy sayings and traditions and what denomination I'm from. Um, Take for example... Of this, how this works in generations. One generation says, "You know, modesty is a good thing. There's lots of scripture that talks about being modest. We shouldn't be out there, you know, flaunting it if we got it. I mean, it, we we need to, you know, th- there there are good biblical reasons." And then a generation turns that into girls can't wear pants. I, I, had a, I had a friend of mine, he took over a church and somehow in all the interviewing process, he didn't realize that that church didn't allow girls to wear pants. He just thought it was a normal Baptist church. And so he and his wife show up the first Sunday at church and she's in pants. And it just caused a, a whole turmoil the first day. But, but what happens is one generation has this great concept of biblical modesty and it turns into, okay, there are specific outfits that, that, then they treat like it's a biblical concept. Uh, the church in the, in the late 90s, they kind of did that with things like, like I said, Agape wouldn't let us dance at our wedding. Not because there was a biblical reason, but because it was a church tradition. That somewhere along the line, somebody had said, there's a reason we don't dance. And then as it came down to generations, was, we just don't dance. Um, and, and it becomes very powerful because when we don't know why we believe what we believe, We take hard stances on things we've heard that aren't even in the Bible. And we are fooled by things that are in the Bible because it's never been kind of taught to us as a tradition. When I was in college, I turned 21. I go ahead and apologize in advance for this example I'm going to use. I've I've struggled back and forth on whether or not I could use it if I'm not an elder next week. I made the wrong decision. When I was in college, um, one of my friends, uh, my my college roommate turned 21 after all of our friend group turned 21. And we were trying to figure out what to do one weekend. And my friend said, what do you want to do? And I said, you know what? I go, I don't know why. Maybe it's just because of TV shows and movies. I've always wanted to go to a casino. Let's go to Tunica. And one of my other friends goes, we can't go to Tunica, gambling's a sin. Okay? I just, I, this is not a place to have a discussion whether gambling's a sin or not. I'm just going to say, you can make an argument from scripture that it is, and you can make an argument that it isn't, but there is no, thou shalt not gamble. And so, but, but me and my roommate, we were like on totally respect that, you know, we, f- we assumed he had gone to the scriptures, he believed that gambling was a sin, and we were going to honor that. So we're like, that's okay. We won't do that. And so we asked our friend, what do you want to do? And unironically, he said, let's go to Sammy's. For those of you who don't know what Sammy's is, don't ask your parents. <laughs> and, and like, and like we were stunned. We were stunned that that was his response. And it was all because he had grown up in a tradition that had said over and over and over, gambling is a sin, but they had never talked about the scriptures that would explain why going to Sammy's was. And so he was actually holding tighter fisted a tradition of the church than he was the word of God. And that's where the danger is, guys. So, so how do we, how do we avoid all this? How do we, I'm gonna, I'm gonna land the plane. It's like 2.30. Um, I'm gonna land the plane. Um, so how, how do we, how do we know the word? How do we grow in the word? And how do we beware of the lies? Here's four things for us to do as a church. Pray for God to reveal the truth of his word and how to wield it. When you're reading the Bible, pray that the Lord will help you understand it but like i said about us being vigilant with the truth versus being truth vigilantes also pray that god shows you how you can use it to encourage to to correct to teach so after we've prayed for god to reveal the truth in his word we need to read his word it would be a natural following so we need to read and study god's word um When I was at a gas station one day, this lady comes up to me, and she hands me this magazine. She said, I'd like to give you one of these. I'm like, okay, that's nice. And I look at the magazine, and I notice it was from the Watchtower, which is a publication of the Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, you know, there was a part of me that just said, you know, just be nice and take it. And there was another part of me that said, you know, No, give it back to her. And so I handed it back to her. I said, I can't take this. She said, why? And I said, I said, well, it starts with what you believe about Jesus versus what I believe about Jesus. And she goes, what's that? And I go, in your Bible, it says, John 1 :1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And I said, in Every other translation in the world, it's in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I said, We have a, we have a, but, but nobody, nobody taught me, okay, you know, this, this is what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. But because I knew that God says Jesus is the Word, the Word is God, I was, I immediately knew when they say He is a God, that changes things. And the only way we're going to know when somebody is twisting scriptures or when somebody's omitting scriptures or somebody's just making up scriptures is if we're in the scriptures. So after we pray for God to reveal the truth of his word and how to wield it, and after we read and study his word, we need to be involved in discipling communities. Guys and gals, we need to be in men's ministry, women's ministry. Uh, a gospel community. We need to be in. You know what the what Katie and Josie are doing with the young girls. There are many, many opportunities for us to be in discipling communities where we can study the word together. We can learn together. We can pray for one another. We can hold each other accountable. We can see. We can be involved in each other's lives so we know when one of us is struggling or one of us is falling away. I share with the men all the time. One of my favorite things. About men's ministry is when I listen to the various men as, as, regardless of whoever's facilitating the teaching, you know, one or two or five or ten men at some point will express something about how the scripture has struck them or they'll share another scripture that maybe the person teaching didn't think that connected. And, and to hear different people add to what's being taught, it just, it just adds to the learning. And then the last thing I would encourage each one of you guys is after you've been praying for God to reveal the truth of his word and how to wield it, after you've been reading and studying the word and as you have gotten yourself engaged in the gospel or a discipling community, seek a mentor. Have... have somebody who you are comfortable with speaking into your life about what it means to be a godly man, what it means to be a godly woman, what it means to be a godly husband, what it means to be a godly wife, what it means to be a godly son, what it means to be a godly daughter, what it means to be a godly friend, what it means to be a godly employee, what it means to be a Christian. Find find a mentor.